You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. 7 through 10. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is Word of God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring our songs and praises to you this morning in worship. Thank you for these who have led us. We thank you for your great grace and goodness to us, shown to us at the cross, our Savior's death and resurrection, something we rejoice in, and revel in and are so thankful to you for what Christ has accomplished for us. And it is because of his death and resurrection that we are saved and that we become part of a body of Christ, a local body of Christ, as a result of our salvation and that we then can interact with one another and we can love one another. And so as we consider these truths here in your word this morning, I pray that you would take your word, plant it deep within us and our hearts and cause us to hear it, to understand it, to apply it. Lord, bring encouragement by it, challenge where needed, support and help. And we pray that your spirit would work through your word now in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it was the summer of 1990, and I was wandering the streets of Jerusalem inside the old city with three other young men. We had just turned on to the famous Via Dolorosa when a gentleman of Palestinian Arab descent greeted us. He was very friendly, and before we knew it, he had invited us into his home situated right there on that street. He wanted to show us his collection of antiquities, and it was clear that his above-average wealth had helped him purchase a great number of fascinating artifacts. You can imagine that we were feeling rather uncomfortable. Four 20-something American Christians inside the home of a Muslim Palestinian. But he did not seem phased at all. And after showing us his collection of antiquities, he introduced us to his wife. She was of Egyptian descent and had grown up on the Gaza Strip. And he asked us to sit down at a table in the room, and soon we were sipping tea and eating some cakes. They were kind of like coffee cake, but without the cinnamon and sugar. And we continued to converse 
with one another for half an hour, finally ending our visit with many thank yous and vigorous handshakes. Though somewhat intimidated by this man's religious and economic background, he had succeeded in making me feel welcomed and honored. What I experienced that day was a demonstration of typical Middle Eastern hospitality for no other reason than, as he put it, to work on his English. This gentleman had invited total strangers into his home and given us refreshment and relaxed conversation. Now, American culture is not so prone to such spontaneous demonstrations of hospitality, even though we might wish it were. Yet the Lord has set <coughs> high standards for his children in regard to hospitality, regardless of the culture in which we live. And what we find in the life of the early church is a vibrant atmosphere of loving one another through the ministry of hospitality. And God's word is clear in the expectation that each of the members of his church should be hospitable to others, whether strangers or known acquaintances. So the call to us this morning is quite simple, straightforward. We heard it in the text read just recently, that you need to be a hospitable believer. Now how are we going to try to flesh that out here this morning? First of all, I'd like us to think about, and, and un <coughs> we need to understand Scripture's call to hospitality, first of all. So we need to understand Scripture's call, and then we need to apply Scripture's call to hospitality. So let's begin with that first point, understanding Scripture's call. It is pretty straightforward. In fact, there are at least five texts that give the command to be hospitable here in the New Testament directly. In Romans 12, 13, <coughs> we read, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hebrews 13, 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 1 Timothy 6, 18, they are to do good, that is the wealthy that he's addressing here particularly, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Then our text that we heard in 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we see there is a general call to be hospitable to our fellow believers. In fact, this quality is commended for elders. It's one of the qualifications given in both of the lists of qualifications for elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Likewise, it's expected of widows who were on the widow list there in 1 Timothy 5. They are to be hospitable. And when we look at the first century context and we see many examples of this throughout the New Testament, we see that hospitality was, in one way that it was expressed, was receiving someone as a guest, taking care of them, and allowing them to spend the night, whether you know them or you didn't know them. We saw this in the Acts 10 account of Cornelius and Peter, where people came to Peter's place, they were accepted in, and then Peter and those men went to Cornelius' place, and Cornelius accepted them in. Paul, at three different times in the book of Acts, is brought into people's homes 
whether it's the home of Manasson in, in chapter 21, or Publius in chapter 28, or Jason in chapter 17. Jesus was brought in, entertained, or I should say people were hospitable to him on at least two occasions specifically, one in Luke 10 where Martha and Mary and Lazarus accept Jesus into their home, and later on in Acts 19, Zacchaeus accepted and brought Jesus into his home. We see hospitality mentioned in regard to the least of these in Matthew 25, where Jesus speaks about these who are hungry and need something to drink, or thirsty and need, uh, or are hungry and need something to eat, I should say. Thirsty and need something to drink. And people are encouraged to have shown care for them, the least of these. We also see a context here in the first century of traveling preachers coming through town. In the book of Third John, the lengthy section there, we'll look at a little bit more in, in detail, where these traveling preachers are brought in, and, in, and, and uh, Gaius particularly is encouraged to take them into his home and to help them along the way. In fact, we also see some who are condemned for not doing that. Also in Third John, uh, Diotrephes was condemned for not doing that. And Jesus, in Matthew 10, as he's sending out his disciples and uh, others on that missionary uh, endeavor there in Matthew 10, he tells them, when you enter into a town, if somebody will not accept you, will not take you in, what should you do? Well, wipe the dust of your feet off as a witness, a testimony against them for their failure to accept you. A couple of other Old Testament in, uh, events are, are referred to in regard to hospitality. In James 2, James speaks about Rahab accepting the spies in. And in Hebrews 13, we're told that some have entertained angels unawares. Of course, that's a reference to Abraham accepting those, uh, accepting the Lord and to others uh, and giving them hospitality. So to summarize all of these various texts in the New Testament in regard to hospitality, we know that in the first century church, there was certainly a need for Christians to open their homes to traveling servants of God. We saw it with Peter, with Paul, with Jesus. Best summed up in 3 John 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And though opportunities like this occur rarely in our context, we should consider how we can be ready to minister in this way if the Lord permits or allows this sort of event to take place. Secondly, there was and continues to be a need to minister to the least of these. There in Matthew 25, 37 to 38, as Jesus was talking there, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? So whether through a homeless shelter or a neighborhood food shelf or a foreign student exchange program 
a refugee ministry, human trafficking, pregnancy centers, and so on. There are many opportunities available for providing food and water and shelter and safety for the vulnerable and the needy among us. And this type of ministry is certainly commended by Jesus. And even through our mercy ministry here at Redeemer, we can participate financially in helping to meet the needs of those among us. But I would like to focus our attention in a slightly different direction, while certainly not denying or ignoring the reality of texts like Matthew 25. The majority of the hospitality text I referred to earlier can be summed up by looking closely at the text that Krista read earlier in 1 Peter 4. So I'd like us to take a closer look at that passage. So if you haven't opened your Bibles there already, please do to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to look specifically at verses 8 and 9. And I want us to notice here as we look at this text, the connection of hospitality to love for one another. Notice here that Peter says in verse 8 that loving one another is to be above all. It is the priority. And it is that which, as he says there, covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it overlooks sin in the right way. Now there, of course, is a wrong way of overlooking sin when it needs to be addressed in someone's life, when it is causing a relational rift, when it is hurting the testimony of Christ. But Peter <coughs> is reminding us of the overarching responsibility that we each have to one another. And it is above all to love each other. Now another of the inner circle of disciples, the disciple John, reminds us that love for our fellow brothers and sisters is but one of three ways that we know that we are God's children and members of his family. In fact, this is the major burden of the Johannine epistles. How do we know that someone is a Christian? And I think John gives us three tests in, in the Johannine epistles, and 1 John particularly here, to help us to see whether we are a Christian. The first test, of course, is a doctrinal test, especially having right doctrine about the person of Christ. For example, in 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So there's a first test. Does someone have right doctrine? Second test, is this person obedient? In 1 John 2, 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now again, this does not mean that we're doing so perfectly or completely, but certainly noticeably, as Jesus himself said, by their fruits you will know them. So the second test is the obedience test. The third test is that we love our fellow Christians. In 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Thus, if you are God's child here today, you have and understand right doctrine. You are seeking and are evidencing obedience in your life. And you are loving brothers and sisters that are around you. You want to be with them. 
You want to help them. You want to serve them. So Peter is saying in this text, keep on loving your brothers and sisters. Now, there are many ways, of course, that we can show love to one another. For example, we could spend a good deal of time this morning looking at the one another's of the New Testament, particularly in the letters of Paul, as a way of learning how we can show love to one another. But in our passage, here in 1 Peter 4, Peter picks out two, two ways that we can show love for one another. And we're going to zero in on only one of them. But the two ways are right there in the text in verse 9. First of all, we show hospitality. Second, in verse 10, we serve one another with the gifts that God has given to us. These are the ways that Peter says we can show love to one another. We show hospitality and we use our gifts to serve one another. I guess I'd like to zero in on that first one, hospitality, here this morning. Hospitality, then, is a natural outflow of love for one another. And as regenerated believers, we now want to show love and grace to others. This is not a grievous command to us, but one that we should want to embrace. But I must admit, as I worked on preparing this sermon and started looking more specifically at what it means to be hospitable, that I often fall short, that I often am not showing love in this way as I ought. I need the Spirit's help to obey, as do each of you. So, when Peter and Paul and the writer of Hebrews all say that we should be hospitable, what do they mean? What do they mean? Well, a few commentators have weighed in on this. Quote a couple here. Edwin, Edward Selwyn said, Hospitality is ordinary social life in the Christian communities where constant interaction and meeting were essential to preserve the church's cohesion and distinctive witness and where the Christian's households, in default of church buildings, were the local units of the church's worship. Another commentator, Ramsey Michael, says, Hospitality <coughs> is simply a concrete expression of mutual love among Christians as a general obligation of the entire congregation. Jen Wilkin, speaking specifically of having someone in her home, but the ideas that she expresses here go beyond the walls of one's home. Hospitality throws wide the doors. It offers itself expecting nothing in return. It keeps no record of its service, counts no cost, craves no thanks. It is nothing less than the joyous, habitual offering of those who recall <coughs> a gracious table set before them in the presence of their enemies. Psalm 23, 5. Of those who look forward to a glorious table yet to come, Revelation 19. It is a means by which we imitate our infinitely hospitable God. I have another definition here, kind of trying to bring some of these ideas together. Hospitality is expressing love to another in a tangible way 
by demonstrating open acceptance, compassionate listening, and encouraging words. Let me say that again. It's a tangible way of demonstrating open acceptance, compassionate listening, and encouraging words. It frequently includes <coughs> the provision of food, drink, and shelter as an additional way of blessing the other person. Now, the key word in that sentence is blessing. When I am being hospitable to someone, <coughs> I am seeking to bless them, to encourage them, to welcome them, <coughs> to listen to them, to share my life with them, to ask them to share their lives with me. What are their thoughts? their feelings, their pursuits, their preferences. Now, <clears throat> I think it's helpful to think about what hospitality is by looking at what it is not. And it is not entertaining. In fact, I think that when we hear the word hospitality, that's what pops into our heads. But hospitality is not entertaining. Because entertaining involves setting the perfect table after an exhaustive search on Pinterest. It chooses a menu that will impress <coughs> and then frets its way through each stage of preparation. It requires every throw pillow to be in place, every cobweb to be eradicated, every child to be neat and orderly. It plans extra time to don the perfect outfit before the first guest touches the doorbell on the seasonally decorated doorstep. And should any element of the plan fall short, entertaining perceives the entire evening to have been tainted. Entertaining focuses attention on self. That's Jen Wilkin again. Entertaining seeks to impress, while hospitality seeks to bless. Entertaining invites those whom it will enjoy, <coughs> while hospitality takes all comers. So we should see that the difference here between hospitality and entertaining comes down to attitude and motive. Love seeks to give and help while entertaining ultimately seeks for accolade and self-focused attention. Now, let's continue in the text here, because Peter gives a qualification to our hospitality, and he says that we are to be hospitable without grumbling. This is the manner of our hospitality. What does it mean to have hospitality without grumbling? I think the grumbling here is having a negative attitude toward the guests in regard to the hassle of preparing and serving and caring for them. Don't begrudge guests or think that you've had enough of them. It's going to come out in your attitude, isn't it? Indeed, hospitality can be an exasperating, costly, and tiring enterprise. The result of grumbling is that it drives out faith in God's promises to bless. It drives out thanksgiving. It drives out thanksgiving for guests, drives out thanksgiving to God for the promises that he's given to bless, and it drives out joy. It drives out joy in serving. Now, one's hospitality may indeed be exploited unfairly. An old Italian proverb says, a guest is like a fish. After three days, he stinks. And your guests may stay too long. But don't let this cause a grumbling spirit in you. Now, on the opposite side, we ought to have an attitude of cheerfulness 
in acts of mercy. In Romans 12.8, we're told we are to do acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Or in 2 Corinthians 9.7, we are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. Indeed, God loves and desires a cheerful hospitality. Let me give a biblical illustration of this from uh, the account I mentioned earlier in Luke 10. In Luke 10, well, let me read it for you here. In Luke 10, 38 to 42. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So she's off to a great start. She's being very hospitable. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I realize the main thrust of this text is not a text on hospitality per se. I'll mention that again here in a moment. But let's notice a few things about Martha's hospitality here that are just mentioned in the text. Even though she's received Jesus into her home, her hospitality soon, soon turns to grumbling by verse 40. Notice that she is distracted with much serving. And verse 41, she's anxious and troubled. Why? Well, there's food to prepare, and the Messiah is hungry. And she's probably also thinking, I would rather be listening to Jesus than preparing food. But someone has to do it, and it certainly isn't my good-for-nothing sister. It appears that Martha's distraction and anxiety points to a grumbling hospitality. Now remember that the main point of this story is to show the supreme value of listening to Jesus and his wisdom, even when there are other good things to do. I mean, that is the main point of the account. And the story is not to show that Mary is being more hospitable than Martha. But as we consider Martha's attitude, she wasn't welcoming Jesus with the goal of caring for his needs because if that had been her focus, she would not have been irritated with Mary. She would have been glad to know that her sister was being encouraged and that Jesus was being heard. Biblical hospitality doesn't compete for attention, and it does not become anxious when the perceived desires of others are not being met as quickly as I think they should be. No, it seeks to bless, to encourage, to welcome, and to listen. Now, if we are to be hospitable, we must indeed understand Scripture's call. No one is exempted, everyone from the youngest here among us to the oldest, has a God-given compulsion to be hospitable. It flows out of our love for one another. But I'd like us to go a step further. We have seen the need to heed Scripture's call to hospitality. Now let's take time to consider several points of application as we apply Scripture's call to be hospitable. And as we look at applying Scripture's call, I'd like to ask three questions. First, 
what does hospitality look like? Second, what are the hindrances to hospitality? And third, what are some objections to hospitality? So, first of all, what does hospitality look like? Now, we desire to be a hospitable church. And we strive to be welcoming and hospitable to anyone who comes in our doors. This is why we have greeters and ushers. But this is just the start. We also have community groups, which afford an opportunity by hospitality, by the hospitality of hosts. We have women's Bible studies and men's retreats. All of these are opportunities to be hospitable to one another. So we see that we do have a biblical basis for all of these, what we might call official church ministries here. But I believe the scripture's call here is to each individual in this assembly to be hospitable. <coughs> this, yes, this, those involved in greeting and ushering and hosting community groups are indeed being hospitable. But the command goes well beyond formal church functions and ministries. So allow me to provide five practical ways that each member, each person here, can show hospitality. First, do you come early or hang around after the service, or both, with the mentality that you are going to greet visitors and members alike? This isn't just the job for the greeters and the ushers. It's for all of us. I know that for many of us, our first impulse after the final prayer is to find our friends and talk about the upcoming events of this afternoon or this week or maybe what just happened in the previous week. But make it a goal to notice another person or family who is not in your close friend group and greet them. Whether or not they are a visitor, a regular attender, or a member, ask them questions like, how long have you been attending RBC? Where do you live? Are you new to the area? What did you appreciate about the service today? Do you have any questions that I could answer for you? See, your friends can wait. And since they will be doing the same thing, they won't be available for conversation anyway. All right, so are we seeking to greet one another and welcome each other? Secondly, are you helpful to those in need? Hospitality extends a helping hand. Are there any seniors who need assistance? Anyone need a ride to or from church? Does someone need an escort to the nursery, to Sunday school classrooms, or the welcome center? Did someone drop something and needs help picking it up? You are on the lookout for people who need help, and you do all you can to meet that need. My wife, Elaine, has an uncle, Uncle Wally, and he served for decades as a custodian in the Fridley School District. After his retirement, I was talking to him about the younger people who were replacing him. He sighed and offered an observation. These young people today don't seem to have an eye for being a good custodian. When I asked what he meant by that, he said, <coughs> they need to be able to see the dirt and to clean it up. Hospitable people see the dirt. They look around, and they see people who need help. 
They see people who need a listening ear, a welcoming voice, a compassionate heart. Hospitable people see needs, and they meet them. A third way to understand hospitality is do you open your home to others? Or if your home is too small, maybe you can team up with another and invite someone over to their place. Or could you take someone out to a restaurant? Jen Wilkin again says, Hospitality involves setting a table that makes everyone feel comfortable. It chooses a menu that allows face time with guests instead of being chained to the stovetop. It picks up the house to make things pleasant, but doesn't feel the need to conceal evidences of everyday life. It sometimes sits down to dinner with flour in its hair. It allows the gathering to be shaped by the quality of the conversation rather than the cuisine. Hospitality shows interest in the thoughts, feelings, pursuits, and preferences of its guests. It is good at asking questions and listening intently to answers. Hospitality focuses attention on others. Hospitality burns the rolls because it was listening to a story. Hospitality savors what was shared by the guests. Hospitality seeks to bless. Homes are good venues for hospitality, but they aren't required. Really, we could, we could say that this third point here is about showing interest. It's about asking good questions and listening for answers. It's about focusing attention on others. Do you create opportunities to have these kinds of conversations with other people? If you do, you are being hospitable. Fourth, do you open up your life to others by getting together with another brother or sister for lunch or coffee or breakfast? Are you seeking to build mentoring relationships, whether as the mentor or the mentee or both, with at least one other person? And fifth, do you accept invitations to receive hospitality from others? Can you humbly receive the love and care of others? Thabiti Anyabile says this, the hospitable person doesn't do the mental calculus of figuring out if the host can afford to do this or whether it's a burden to them or whether I am comfortable with them. They honor others by accepting their hospitality with genuine thankfulness and with as little myopic awareness of self as possible. All right. That's the first question I wanted us to consider together, and that is, what does hospitality look like? But I think we can also and should also consider, what are some of the pitfalls that can keep us from being as hospitable as we should be? Well, first of all, I think we can fail to take proactive action to meet with particular people, to invite them over, to connect with new people. Though some are naturally gregarious and outgoing here among us, most of us need to give active attention to be hospitable toward others. If you plan, if I plan to just let hospitality happen, it won't. Here's the thought. When you come on a Sunday morning, plan to greet or connect with one person that you have never or rarely talked to before. I also think another pitfall is that we gravitate to our friends and comfortable people in our lives. 
This is natural and completely acceptable, but it is failing to be hospitable in the sense that you are only blessing and sharing life with the same people week after week. The call to be hospitable is a call to expand, expand your circle of people that you are showing love to. A third pitfall is that we have a selfish streak that tends to think of self first. When Paul calls upon us to not look at our own affairs, but rather to consider the needs of others first. Philippians 2, 3 to 4. I would rather have someone acknowledge, and this is, I know, this is how I tend to feel, I'd rather have someone else acknowledge my pain, my suffering, my trial, rather than doing this for others. I would rather talk to my good friends than to new people or people I hardly know. After all, what do I have in common with these people I don't know? No, the call to love others by being hospitable is a call to consider others, all others, as better than myself. And a third question as we think about these applications of hospitality. What are some objections? What are some objections that we can make, we might make? Some ways that you might consciously or subconsciously dismiss the Bible's call to you to be hospitable? I thought of a few. I'm an introvert and shy. I'm a single adult. I have small children in a messy house. I have a small apartment that's too small to have someone over. I'm financially stressed right now. I'm only 10 years old. It's not my gift. I have so many of my own problems that it's time for someone else to be hospitable to me. See, Jesus addressed objections like these and others I haven't mentioned when he talked to his hearers about their commitment to follow him in Luke 9, 57 to 62. In fact, in that text, we read about one who wanted to wait until his father died before following Jesus. Or we also are told of one who wanted to go home and say goodbye. But to all of these excuses, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if you are a Christian, you already have your hand on the plow. And you have committed to be a dedicated follower of Jesus. So don't look back. Don't look at your, cur at your current problems and, at your, at, and, and, and zero in on those so much. Don't make excuses when it comes to loving your fellow brothers and sisters. Don't allow these to keep you from reaching out and being hospitable to others. So I want to encourage you to commit yourself to heed Scripture's call to be hospitable, to express love in a tangible way by demonstrating open acceptance compassionate listening, and encouraging words that you want to use to bless, to welcome, and to share life with others. Be purposeful in looking for opportunities 
to be hospitable, not allowing excuses or selfishness or other friendships to keep you from helping Redeemer Bible Church to be a welcoming and caring assembly where we show hospitality to one another without grumbling. To close here with the words of a song many of you have probably heard, it's called the Servant Song, and I think it speaks well to what I'm talking about here and what the Scriptures talk about when it says, be hospitable without grumbling. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are brothers on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace you long to hear. I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen this journey through. When we sing to God in heaven, we shall find such harmony born of all we've known together of Christ's love and agony. Let's pray.